You're listening to the preaching ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek to worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, please visit redemption.bible. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon at one of our upcoming worship services. All right. Um, last week, like I said, we got that chance to focus in on the resurrection. We got to focus in on who Christ is and what he has done, and we are going to continue that this week. We're getting back into our, our, our walk through John, right? The, the come and believe. Um, and so we're kind of reorienting, coming back to the gospel that he has written and shown us. And I just want us to prepare for a moment. I want us to reflect for a moment. Just think for a moment. What has God done in your life that when you looked at it, you didn't see a way? Like when he came through in a way that, that was miraculous. And sometimes we think miracles have to be huge, but sometimes it's just we don't see a way and it comes. Like, I've heard people share about they, they had a bill due and, and the money they needed down to the penny God provided some way. Bam. Just they couldn't see a way. There was no way they are going to be able to do it. Or maybe it was a health issue and, and the prognosis was bad and then God heals. And it's like, it's amazing. And I think it happens more than we think. And, and, and so I want you to think, when has God provided when you didn't see a way? Or maybe he's used you. Like you just, you know, somebody in your small group was having a rough go of it, and you just felt like, hey, you know what? I'm going to make them a, a meal. And, and you just show up and, hey, made this for you. And they were like, that's awesome. Because there was no way we were going to get to that tonight. It was going to be cereal or whatever, right? God uses us, and, and, and he provides in ways that we can never even imagine sometimes. And so I want us to be thinking about that as we talk through today. And so, like I said, we're back in John. We're going to be talking about uh, a pretty familiar passage if you've been around the church for a while. It's Jesus feeds the 5,000. I'll tell you why that's a misnomer in a, in a minute. But, um, you know, it's, it's this miracle, and, and it's unique miracle in, in several ways. One, it's Besides the resurrection, it is the only miracle that is accounted for in all four Gospels, right? So the Gospel accounts are, are written, like John tells us his purpose. Each one has a different purpose or audience, like why they're writing it. But this miracle shows up in every single one. It's also the biggest, like numerically, like 5,000 people, like this is a, this huge crowd gets to participate in and be witnesses to this miracle. And, and so when you think about it, like, this is people going around saying, I have seen the miraculous, and I've seen this guy Jesus do it. And there's so many of us, like, you can't deny it. You, you just can't. There's so many witnesses to this miracle, you can't deny it. And, and so we get to see this, and, and as we're reading through, it's Again, John 6, 1 through 15, and I'm going to read it in just a second, but I want us to remember why we're doing this series, right? John wrote in his gospel, he was 
nice enough to tell us his reason, his purpose for this gospel account. And, and so just John 20, verse 31, he says, He wrote these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so that's what we're doing this morning. So in this passage, that's what we're looking for. Who does Jesus say he is? He says he's the Son of God. He says he is God. And so we can believe this. And so with that on our hearts, we're going to read. I'm going to read. Please read along in, in your copy of the Word. It says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain and... There he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what is that for? What are they for so many? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And Jesus took then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. And so they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the bar five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. And perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is God's word for God's people. And thank God that he writes these things down for us and allows us to see this in full. And so as we look, I kind of want to take a few minutes to set the scene, as John did at the beginning, and look at these first few verses. Because in these verses, he kind of gives us the location, the timeline, and all that. And we don't want to just skip over that. That's important stuff. And so we see Jesus had been traveling. He had actually been by himself, and he travels across the Sea of Galilee, which is really, it's a big lake. Uh, it's also, it refers to the Sea of Tiberias. So there's a... a city or a village on the west side called uh, Tiberias, and so it was a name for that. There, and he's just making sure that we know exactly what he's talking about. And he crosses over, and it's most likely he went to Bethsaida, uh, which is kind of up in the northeastern side, and, and it says he goes up on the mountain. And, and so I don't want you to think like, like the Rockies, like they don't have those kind of mountains. It's a hill. But there's elevated ground, right? And, and so he's up there, and this crowd has been following him. And you can probably see him, like, walking around the, the, the lake, right, coming towards him. And, and so he's up on the high ground with his disciples. They're, they're gathering, and, 
And then we also get this timestamp. It says it was the time of the Passover. And this is interesting because it, we've already seen this once as we walk through, right? The time of the Passover. So after Jesus' first public miracle, after the beginning of his ministry at the wedding at Cana, when he turned water into wine, it, it, right after that it said it was the time of the Passover, right? And then they head down to Jerusalem. But, but now there's this time of this pilgrimage, and they're up in Galilee, and they're up in this kind of isolated area, right? It, it actually, you know, when it talks about they, there's grass for them to sit, this is a big crowd. And so why I said earlier about the misnomer about the 5,000, so uh, this is 5,000 men that they counted. Now, in Matthew's account, he actually adds the words, and women and children. So, so this could be... 10, 15, even as much as 20,000, depending on the people you, the experts who, who figured it out. But this is a large crowd. I mean, this is pretty enormous. There's, there's probably not a village in the area that has that many people that live there. And so they're in an area that those many people, that many people can come and gather. And so it's kind of isolated. And, and this kind of all adds into the question that Jesus asked, because tell you, like, there's nowhere to go to get the bread. And then it talks about this large crowd a little bit more, the, the reason why they're following him. And, and so it's funny because I read this, and I immediately thought, like, a few weeks back when Pastor Blair talked about, like, the guy who got healed at the pool in Bethesda and that he didn't actually believe. Like, there's nowhere that it says he believed and that he just benefited from this miracle. And so I was kind of thinking, like, these people are just following him because they're seeing him heal people. But John actually uses the words that says they were following him because they saw the sign. And when John uses sign, he's saying it's not just a miracle, but it's a miracle that points to who Jesus is. And so then I was a little conflicted. I was like, oh, maybe they're all believers, but maybe they're not. And who knows? It's, it might have been a mixed bag. There might have been people who believed. There might have been people looking to get healed or saw the healing. Or the, might have just been people who are like, hey, there's a big crowd. Let's follow them. Like, I don't know. But, but there is this enormous crowd that is coming. What I do know is that Jesus has a plan that involves this crowd. And that brings us to our first point. Jesus' plan is unconstrained. Jesus has a plan, and it is unconstrained. His plans uh, eternally have never been constrained by us, right? They, he is all-powerful, and his plan is unconstrained. And so Jesus uses us. I, I don't want to say it that way. We get to be used by Jesus, right? As, as he uses his plan broadly in, in the redemptive plan, we, we get used to be witnesses, to share the gospel, to build up the church, to disciple those who have come to be a part of it, right? And so that's an awesome gift, and really, it's like, why would he, I wouldn't use me if I was him. I would have been like, eh, we'll let him sit on the sidelines. But, but he uses us in that way. But oftentimes, I think we can try to constrain his plan, and so it's interesting, as he is addressing Philip, right, he asks him this question, where are we going to get bread for all these people? 
And it says specifically it was a test, right? What was he testing? Well, I think that he was testing their faith. Maybe they need a little encouragement, a little boost in their faith in him. Because he already knew what he was going to do. He was going to feed this crowd. But he asked Philip, why? Well, he sees our heart. He knows what's in our minds. And so there was something going on there. And I think if we look at Philip's response to this question, we see what's going on in his mind. Because Philip, when asked, where will we buy this bread? One, he doesn't even answer the where. Like, he goes straight to calculation. He starts doing math, which I'm not going to math. but So he goes, roughly, I see this many people. I know the price of bread. He's probably the logistician for this group, right? And so he's like, oh, man, 200 denarii, which is about seven months' days' worth of wages. So it's, it's a pretty significant amount of money. Uh, it's how much could you make in seven months? Probably a good amount to buy bread. But he, he, he immediately goes to this, and, and he comes back with, even if we had 200 denarii, we couldn't, we can't get any bread. Like, we needed to cater this thing months ago to make sure this happened. The bakers aren't ready. Like, he's just not there. And it's funny because what he does, I think we often do, he goes straight to what he can comprehend, what he understands, what he controls. So his, his default is not, Jesus, I've seen you do miracles, so I know you're going to do something. His default is, man, let me start calculating. What, what do I understand? What, how, how do I perceive this? And so his, his answer is really, Jesus, it's impossible. It's not going to work. Even if we had the money, there's, there's not enough for them, even to have a little. There's nowhere to send them. There's no place that is going to produce that much. It's just impossible. And I know that I'm guilty of this. I know that when things seem big, when I feel pressed, when I feel squeezed, I default, unfortunately, to what I can understand and control. Any other Phillips out there this morning? (laughs) My default, unfortunately, is that. When I should default to, God, I've seen you do amazing things over and over and over providing for me. I know that you can do it. And then we have Andrew. And Andrew seems to be doing a little bit better, right? Walking, he's like, hey, Jesus, I found this kid, and he has his lunchbox, and there's five loaves and two fish in it. And so I want us to picture what this really is, because we kind of think loaf of bread, like I got my Wonder Bread. Like, but what we're talking about is like a pita or like a naan. It's a flat bread, and there's five of these. And fish, we're not talking like king salmon, we're talking sardines. They're, it's literally pickled fish is what they're talking about. And so this is literally lunch. This kid has lunch, and he's like, you can use it. And just an aside, like how awesome would it be to be the kid who got put into God's word because he brought his lunch and was willing to just give it? Like, Lord, you can use whatever I got. And Forever, people are going to be reading about this and, and like celebrating that this kid was used greatly. 
But anyway, we see Andrew, his response is like, hey, Lord, I think you can do something. I got this kid. But then he caveats the end. He's like, but what is this for so many? What is this for so many? I think that he and Philip are both trying to put constraints on the power of Christ. And I think a lot of times we do this. We, we limit what Jesus can do with this, this attitude like Andrew. I don't have enough. Like, it's just not enough. What is this for so many? There's such great need in the world. There, there's so many people that need salvation. I can't. I don't have enough to do it. I don't have enough time. Super busy. Everything's piling up. I don't have enough time to be in community, to go to small group. I don't have enough time to pause and share the gospel with this person. I got an appointment. I got something coming. I got to go take the kids somewhere. I don't have enough treasure. I don't have enough money. And I'll I'll tell you, I've felt this before. Like, all I have to give is so little. Like, what is that? in the grand scheme of helping Jesus build his church. It's not, like, what is that for so many? And I'm missing the miraculous multiplication that Jesus can do, right? And so it might be talent. I'm not very smart. I haven't studied. I don't know this. I've only been a believer for a little while. I didn't go to seminary. Like, all these excuses, really, that we try to limit, we try to constrain him. What is it for you? I can't do fill in the blank. I'm just a fill in the blank. Like, I can't do mutual ministry. can't care for these people. I can't preach the gospel. I'm just a wretched sinner. I'm just a regular guy. I'm just me. But when we are obedient to God's plan, it makes him the provider. He can do it. It's not me. It's not what I have. It's what he can do with it. And Jesus doesn't uh, demand of us. He just says, bring what you got. You have a little. Bring it. And I'll multiply it. I'll bring abundance through what you're willing to give. Bring what you have. Show up. And I'll miraculously multiply whatever you bring. And another thing about this that stood out was the barley bread. This isn't the fine flour and oil like the the good stuff that you would serve at a fine dinner. This is poor people bread. This is bread of common people. Like, this is all they have. And this kid could have said, oh, man. I just got, I got the cheap stuff. Like, I don't want to bring that to Jesus. He said, I don't care what it is, how common it is that you feel it is, but bring it. And I will tell you that just like when Jesus turned water into wine and it was the best wine they had ever tasted, I bet this bread was the best they had ever had. This common barley loaf. Because he did the miracle. He Produce the abundance. And all he had to do is come. And 
So I just think I don't want to be the one who constrains him with my heart attitude. I don't want to put constraints and caveats on what Jesus can do just because what I see looks impossible to me. He needs me to believe that he is who he says he is. And he can do what he says he can do. And so thankfully, here in this text and and just in life in general, Jesus is not constrained. And he's going to do miraculous multiplication. He's going to do this. And he's going to make a boy's lunch feed the masses. And so that brings us to our next point, that Jesus' provision is beyond expectation. Jesus' provision is beyond expectation. Why do I say expectation? I want us to look back at the end of Philip's response, right? So he says, you know, I need this much money. And even if we had that, it's not, it would not be enough for them to get a little. Philip's expectation is a little. Not even enough to satisfy, but just a little to keep him hanging on. Even if we had a ton of money, it's just enough for a little. And I think that we can get caught in that same expectation. Like we have a God of abundance. And we think, ah, it's... it's, just a little, just a bite. And what's funny is that Jesus doesn't just give them a bite. He doesn't just give them enough to satisfy, but he has them eat until they're full. They're stuffed, and there's leftovers. Now, Philip's seen this already, but in his mind there's this limit, there's a threshold to God's power that he can't get past. All right, I know that he's done this, but this is bigger. I know that he's done this, but this is bigger. Everyone just gets a little. But Jesus looks at these people and he tells his followers, like, I'm not just going to do a little. I'm going to do a lot. Everyone gets more than enough. Jesus blows Philip's expectations out of the water completely. Not only is everyone fed, not only are they stuffed, but there's leftovers. Now think of this crowd. And they're passing out these five loaves and two fish, and they're just, it's amazing. And this five loaves of barley bread, and it's, it's interesting as you study this, if, if we go back with me to uh, 2 Kings 4, 42, so it's, you know, kind of after the first five books of the Bible, and then we get into 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, so second one there, but 2nd Kings 4, 42 through 44, I'm going to read it for us. It says, a man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley bread. Sound familiar? And fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, and this is Elisha, he's a prophet, an Old Testament prophet. He said, give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, how can I set this before a hundred men? What is this for so many? Twenty loaves to feed a hundred men. And so he repeated, give 
them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them, and they ate and had some left, according to the word of the Lord. So we see this has been done, but Jesus does this exponentially greater. Jesus is always the greater, the greater provider, the greater king, the greater priest. He's always the greater. Like, if you get a chance, read through Hebrews, Hebrews in general. But Hebrews talks about just Jesus is better. He's greater. He's bigger. He is more. And so where we've seen that everybody in the Old Testament would have got at least a quarter of that loaf of bread, right, that little bread, Jesus just blows that out of the water and there's a ton left over. There's, there's enough to fill 12 baskets. 12 disciples go out to collect what's left over. He says, we don't want any wasted. Go get it. And, and they fill their bag, right, their, their basket, their lunch sack, whatever. And now they got food to eat. But I want us to remember this, none should be wasted. We don't want any wasted. We have a God who gives more than enough. And, and if he gives us more than enough, we don't waste that. But we use what's left over for his glory, for his kingdom, to share with those in need as he uses us as part of his miraculous multiplication. We don't want to take it for granted but we want to use it for his glory. We have such a generous God. His grace is abundant. If we start to think about just his day-to-day provision, like it is miraculous, and I think we lose sight of that. Even our salvation, like we've been saved, it is the biggest miracle that could happen for us, and in our day-to-day life, I think we lose sight of that, but He's like, this is big. This is my provision, my abundance for you. And what's interesting is all they had to do, the only thing he told that crowd to do was what? Sit down. Sit down in the grass. And I think Mark's the one who says, it's green grass. He just let us know. Sit down in the green grass. That's it. He didn't make them go wash. He didn't make them line up and come tell me why you deserve my bread. What have you done? He just said, sit down. Be obedient. Sit down with expectations, believing that although you do not see piles and piles of bread, I'm going to feed you. It was a simple act of faith. Just sit down in expectation. Isn't this the gospel? Like, he sees the problem. God sees our sin, and and there's no way for us to reach him. And in his abundant provision, he sends his only son, Christ, to come and live in our place and die in our place, to pay an exorbitant amount, more than we could ever imagine, for his life to be taken, for him to bear the wrath of God. On our part, and then to rise again to prove that He is who He says He is, and to prove that we can have abundance in our life. I'm not talking about the physical, I'm talking about the spiritual abundance, the eternal abundance that He brings. 
And all we have to do is submit and believe. Simple act of obedience, simple act of faith. And I want us to remember as we look at these things, these physical miracles that he does, whether it's healing somebody and so they can see or heals the lame so that they can walk, these physical things that are done always, always have eternal purposes. They're always a spiritual element to them. He could feed 5,000 and send them away, and they're going to be hungry tomorrow. But what he does has eternal meaning. He provides and lets them be a part of a miracle, and they witness it, and they realize who he is, and it changes everything. So John likes to show us that these miracles are signs. They're, They're really pointing to who Jesus is. They're pointing to his divinity. Jesus is God. And he is a God of abundance, and he cares for us, and he provides for his people. And this miracle is no different, and that brings us to our final point. Jesus' position cannot be forced. Jesus' position, his role, ruling and reigning king of the universe, cannot be forced. And and so I want us to look at the last couple verses there and, and see what's happening. So verse 14, when the people saw the sign that had been done, he sa- they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Now, not just a prophet, but the prophet. And what they're referring to is way back in Deuteronomy 18. And if you want to go there, uh, Deuteronomy 18, uh, first and 15, and then verse 18 says, this is Moses speaking at this point, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him whom you shall listen. And then in 18, it's God speaking to Moses, and he says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I'll put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. This is a messianic prophecy. This is saying, I'm going to bring somebody, Moses, like you, but better. The fulfillment of what you could be. Right? Just like we were talking. Like him, but better, exponentially greater. This is the prophet that they have been waiting for. From that point till this happens, it's like 1,300 years. They have been waiting for this guy with expectation. They've been waiting eagerly. They've been looking. Even if you look back to to John chapter 1, when when John the baptizer is baptizing and they come to question him, they, they ask him, are you the Christ? Are you the prophet, the prophet? That's the prophet they're talking about. And he's going to say all that God has commanded. And we, we just talked about that, all right? A couple weeks back, Jesus in the, in the classroom, he speaks what the Father tells him to speak. Their will is one and connected because they are one and connected 
Jesus is God. He is the greater prophet. And it's interesting, the crowd gets this right. They do. He is the prophet, the one who is coming into this world. We have been waiting. Praise God that he's here. And then they blow it. They see who he is. He is divine. He is God. And then they say, well, it says Jesus perceives what's going on in them, that they're going to come and take him by force to make him king. To make him king. These people can't make him king. He is king. He is king of the universe. He is sovereign. He rules and reigns. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So why doesn't he allow this? Because they missed the point. They're trying to force him into a position that they've created, their thought process. This is what the king's going to do. He's going to come and he's going to free us from the oppression of these Romans. Right? Over the years, it was somebody else each time. The, the prophet's coming and we're going to be freed from the oppression of pick your enemy of Israel. But now it's the Romans. And Jesus is like, no, I'm not here to free you from the oppression of Romans. I'm, free, I'm here to free you from the oppression of sin and death. Eternal perspective versus what we see right now. He is not their earthly king. He is the heavenly king. He is the eternal king. And so it's interesting that we, we see this realization that this is who he is. And the response is, I want him to be like I want him. And we don't get to do that. We try sometimes. Jesus, you're a king, God of the universe. Now I need you to be like this and act like this and let me do these things. And I need you to come through in this. Right? He will not be forced. He, he, he is the ruler. We come humbly and submit. We just sit down in that act of obedience. Jesus has shown us. He is the miraculous. He does miraculous multiplication. He displays his divinity and it hopefully has encouraged our faith as we read through this. Challenged us a little. But just to realign us, to get us thinking right of who he is and what he's done. So I want us to think before we close out. We're going to close in just a minute, but I want us to think, what, what is it that I try and constrain in his plan? Where are those times that I see what's going on, and I know what he's told me in his word, and I just go, yeah, I don't think you got enough. Not in this time. It's too big. Or maybe you say, I don't have enough. I don't feel equipped. I don't feel ready. I'm, I don't have enough time, treasure, or talent. I, ha I don't have what you need, what you demand. And he says, look, bring what you got. Whether it's lowly and poor, bring what you got. Just come and give it to me, and I'm going to use it beyond all you can imagine. Where are we trying to constrain? Where are we not uh, having the right expectations of him? And how can we surrender that and see him for who he really is?
With that, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to take communion. Bow your heads with me. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your abundance as you provide. As you provide what we need and more than enough. Lord, where are we getting in your way? Where in our lives have we tried to limit your great power? Lord, help us to come beyond that. Help us to submit all we have. Let let us be like the little boy who just brought all he had in expectation that, God, you're going to do something great with it. Help us be surrendered to your mission, to be witnesses, to share the gospel, to help make disciples wherever we are on our journey. Lord, we know that you can use us. We're, We're humble before you. And Lord, we pray with great expectation that you will do more than we could imagine. And in that, you would get the glory and and we would use the leftovers. Nothing would be lost. Wouldn't take it for granted, but we would use it for your glory, for your kingdom. Lord, if anybody's in here who hasn't just come with that simple obedience of just coming to sit, and believing that you're going to do what you say you're going to do. You're going to change our eternity with an abundance. We pray right now that you would change hearts, transform us, make us new. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to uh, partake in communion. So as we prepare for that, Lord, I ask you to ready our hearts and minds. We pray this and we get to pray this in the name of our King of Kings, the prophet Jesus Christ. Amen.